Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually. I am Jamie Smith and joining me as always is my co-host. A Diablo Jackson. Hello. Hello. Today we will be talking about season two, episode ten, Pegasus. It's the one uh, some people have been waiting for. I definitely have been waiting for it. <laughs> did you go back and watch the original Pegasus? I did. I went back and watched. Uh, they're called uh, the Living a Living Legend, the Living Legend parts one and two, and um, it was just as cool and amazing as I remembered it uh, from my youth and um, early adulthood. And uh, it informed me a little bit more about the, this episode, but they are they are mostly different. Okay. Do you want to talk about that later or now? Um, I, I mean, I could talk about it now. I mean, um, yeah. So basically, the so the dynamic is the the general dynamic is the same. Um, the there's the Pegasus shows up, and um, in this one, Apollo and Starbuck are out doing a a route like a scouting mission, and they encounter some other vipers and i don't they don't know that they're vipers and they do like little like dog fighting stuff until they realize that they're from another ship they get taken back to pegasus and that's when we discover there's a, another battle star that um survived um this battle star is um commanded or piloted or controlled whatever the word is by uh commander kane so it's specifically it's commander which was like a, a big difference from the version that we have here in galactica so uh lloyd and it's uh stars lloyd bridges as commander kane and he's he's sort of like this like general Patton kind of vibe he's like this brusque rogue like in in a in that way he's a lot like our admiral kane um but the dynamic is different because they are, they have the same rank. Um, even though Adama tends to kind of have more like say in things. Um, and so we don't really have that same kind of like uh, push and pull 
that we have in the reimagined reimagined series as we do in the original version. Um, yeah, and they were just they were he he's been like putting hits on the Cylons. Our fleet at the time is running out of fuel, so that's kind of like the concern. And um, Kane wants to like hit this Cylon outpost that they can get all this fuel from, and all the shenanigans fall out from there. Um, there's one character that shows up uh, that's pretty pivotal in um, uh, the original Battlestar Galactica, and that her name is Sheba, and she is the daughter of Admiral Kane. Um, when the Pegasus gets destroyed, kind of destroyed it's like a question whether or not obviously if there was a season two it would have come back kind of deal um but she is um not on the ship and she's with the galactica so she ends up staying with the galactica along with another pilot which i can't remember his name and they um she becomes like a romantic foil for apollo um, which obviously we don't have that character in the reimagined series. So that's basically it. It was like the it was like the event for um original Battlestar fans. It's like that's the probably the thing that most people remember from it other than the original like pilot and maybe some weird uh episodes when they're on the ship of lights a little bit later. Um but yeah, that's uh, that's it. Uh, the Living Legend, ladies and gentlemen, parts one and two. <laughs> <laughs> so according to this official companion, um, Ron Moore did have the show's writing staff watch The Living Legend, which is a change from a lot of these other episodes that reference the old series in some way where they say they, I never saw it. Yeah. Um, this time they, they definitely did actually watch it. He talks about how he had Kane outrank Adama because he thought it would be interesting to watch Adama accept Kane's authority. Yeah. I was going to say real quick, uh, if, <laughs> if you had said that it, like, any of the writers were like, I've never seen this. I was gonna, <laughs> like, I literally, because there's actually a scene in our, uh, the reimagined show when Apollo first sees the Pegasus and he says, It's like a dream. Um, the original one, Apollo was flying towards the Pegasus and he's like, uh, He said something to the effect of, like, Am I dreaming? And, and I was gonna be like, Dude, there's no way that this is <laughs> a coincidence. <laughs> Um, they did say that they had thought of people like Sigourney Weaver, Jessica Lange, and Angelica Houston for the role, but they realized pretty quickly that they weren't going to get those actresses for a guest role. So they started looking at actresses who do television, and they landed on Michelle Forbes, who had worked with Michael Reimer and a movie that he made. Um, and at first she wasn't really interested and I listened to her on Trisha Helfer's podcast and she did say that, that like the offer came through her agent and she was like, mm, no thanks. But then she thought, well, let me just check out this show. And so she watched a few episodes and she called her agent and was like, please tell me you didn't already turn that down. <laughs> um, and so she took it and, 
Uh, I think that she's very good because Michelle Forbes has this like coldness to her. Yeah. That comes across really well. I don't know that I've seen her in anything where I would, where I would call her warm. Mm-hmm. So that translates really well. And then as we get into the episode and we hear these stories about her and we see the way that Gina was treated and then how quickly she is like, uh, we're going to execute these guys. Like we understand exactly who she is very easily. Mm -hmm. And I think a warmer actress, someone like Sigourney Weaver or like Jessica Lange, like they're, I think that they would be a little bit softer. Mm -hmm. So I think she's a really good choice. Yeah. I mean, she was excellent. I mean, I, as a, as a, uh, a Star Trek fan, she played uh, Ensign Roe Laren on uh, The Next Generation. And she was one of those, like a background character. She popped up, um, a recurring character, I should say, that popped up on a, quite a few episodes. And she was one of those ones that really kind of popped. And she had grown in popularity and then when they were doing deep space nine i believe she was um uh, meant to go on that show but she turned it down because she didn't want to be typecast uh as like sci-fi actor and they ended up yeah. creating a kira naris character which who i love her so that was that all worked out um uh, I think Ron Moore talks about it in his uh, director's commentary uh, for Pegasus. Uh, he says that uh, that, again, like what you just said, it was a kind of a concern of hers or she didn't want to go on the show. And I think it was be uh, some of it was related to like the whole sci-fi thing. But she uh, <laughs> it was that Ron Moore worked on Star Trek and he worked with her and wrote, you know, for her. Um, and he, but he didn't really kind of like, he wasn't the one that reached out to her. Like, as you said, it was David Icke, but there's a story he tells where he walked up to her and was like, you know, I used to work with you on Star Trek. And then right after that found out the whole thing about like her being hesitant of being like typecast on a, on a, sci-fi show and all that other stuff and then he kind of like was like oh my god i can't believe i said that you know um mm -hmm. yeah so uh i'm so glad she's on it uh, she she nails the character in spades and um and we get to see her later too um yep. so that's it that'll be really fun so getting into this we are with the crew of the Galactica and they're running their standard routines when suddenly a large unidentified ship appears on the Dratus. Gaeta calls for action stations and Rosalind is there and Adama tells her that it looks like she picked a hell of a day to visit. Ty notes the size of the ship and assumes that it's a base star. And so the commander of the air group, that's pronounced CAG, <laughs> is sent out to do recon. <laughs> <laughs> Adama calls for the fleet to go to their emergency jump point and he asks for sit, sit rep and oh so he and Rosalind were not in the CIC when they get to the CIC he asks for sit rep and Ty tells him that alert fighters have launched the mystery ship has also launched fighters which everyone assumes are silent raiders and there's two minutes until they jump but then Gata says that he's getting a colonial transponder Ty assumes that the Cylons are using their own signals against them. But Adama is 
much calmer about this and just tells them to hold their weapons and the jump. And he asks for the sh- for ship to ship contact and instruct instructs D to give the hostile challenge phrase sequence and to put their answer on speaker. So D says who they are, demands identification, or the Galactica will fire on them, and they get a response from the Pegasus to the ship claiming to be the Battlestar Galactica. Ty is like, uh, how can that be when all the ships are destroyed? And Adama asks for direct contact and asks for authentication codes. D receives them, says they're legit, and then suddenly a woman's voice is heard asking if that's Adama. And Adama knows who this is and tells Admiral Kane it's a pleasure to hear her voice. And that's where we have outside Lee confirming that it's really the Pegasus. He says it's like a dream. And his father agrees. And I think that's when we go to credits. Yeah, it's a, a couple things. <laughs> um, the music in this episode uh, is standout. And so this is the this little, the music that plays behind the sequence, I think it's called Pegasus actually, um, is uh, kind of noteworthy because it's a lot different from the, like the music that we hear. Uh, that we've heard before, but it really informs like the feeling behind this because it's so like at this point, like they're really at their like a low point in terms of like, you know, we just had that at the previous episode where we established they don't really have anything to live for. Right. And, and they're running out of supplies and, um, you know, it's just everything that they brought with them is all they have. So, and it, even when it comes to the ships, we've had like a bunch of ships that had to get scrapped. And so those are necessary to protect the fleet. Right. And so all of a sudden this ship comes out of nowhere. It's like this hope. And it, it just, the music is so hopeful. I, I it, it gets, a, it's another one that's in my, uh, my workout, <laughs> my running playlist mm-hmm. when I use it. Um, yeah, so, uh, there's, there's that piece, but I also watched, um, I, you know, I think we talked about it on our last, uh, episode, how there was an, um, extended version of this that I actually never knew existed, but it's on the Blu-ray. And so I watched that and the original version and, um, the, the extended version basically just has like sort of like extended scenes and some scenes are added here and there. But this episode on the extended one actually opens with Adama, Rosalyn and Starbuck in like some kind of situation room. And Starbuck is making a case for them to jump back to Caprica to go rescue Anders and the rest of the resistance. And then in the middle of that, you hear the action stations and then so she runs away to go out there and then Rosalind and Adama head to the CIC. They're actually shutting her down, um, telling, you know, telling her we can't do that. And I think that that is a setup for why she starts to make the choices she does a little bit later in not this episode so much, but in the um, resurrection ships part one and two in terms of her willingness to go along with um, Admiral Kane. But okay. yeah. Um, anyway, I will be, I will be throwing in, I, I will be throwing in a lot of uh, illumination on some scenes when they, when they expanded here and there, because they, a lot of it was actually pretty interesting, but I also 
Like, I also see why they ended up getting cut. Um, there was, like, a practical reason for them cutting it. I think they wanted to make it, like, a 90-minute episode, but they didn't actually have enough extra footage to make it quite a 90-minute episode, but they were really in love with this extended version that they had, so that's why it ended up being on the Blu-ray, just so, like, we could see it. But when I watched the original version, I always, like, remarked how quickly things spiraled. <laughs> <laughs> and uh like the pacing was really fast but it never felt inorganic to me i was it always felt like yeah like this all made sense but as having heard the story about how much was cut and i saw the scenes that were cut it actually started to make sense to me why it feels like there's this breakneck pace from where they're at to where they end up in 40 minutes so. yeah so we come back to the episode with the Pegasus crew coming to the Galactica and it's all pomp and circumstance. Ty snapping at people to look sharp. Starbucks shows up just in time for Ty's call to attention. Several Marines exit the Raptor before Admiral Kane steps out. They really like milk that time that it takes for her to come out. <laughs> Adama welcomes them and Kane says it's an honor. Adama presents Kane to the president, and she is momentarily surprised, but greets Rosalind. Mm -hmm. Kane welcomes them all back to the colonial colonial fleet, and everyone starts cheering and hugging each other. And I do have a slight explanation of that. Mm -hmm. um, since Adama has the rank of commander, he would not normally be entitled to having a fleet, but would more likely be in charge of a convoy. In the original series, Commander Cronus refers to the fleet as a convoy, apparently. By contrast, flag officers or admirals command fleets. So Kane is referring to them joining the colonial fleet refers to her military command as to as opposed to the civilian fleet. Yeah, I mean that definitely is the technical reason and we get we get mm -hmm. that a little bit later, right? After at the end of all of this, um but I think you know obviously it's uh, the the purpose behind that is to start to show Adama as the second secondary right so yeah yeah so it's like welcome to the fleet and you're like uh no <laughs> like you're one ship yeah we are, we are a fleet like you're but... you're joining our party like you you know yeah like, yeah so but i it, it definitely from a technical standpoint um again like this this was another sequence like right before they in uh uh, Ty's yelling at everybody to like this isn't recess people like there was a sequence with him um, him Ty Adama and Rosalind walking down a corridor in exposition about like who's who's the admiral and that kind of stuff and so you hear a little bit about that uh, with the, the uh, so it's like and this is established that Adama and Kane had never actually met in person it seemed like but in the cut in the version the the aired version, it seems like they, you know, at least were like acquaintances or they've been in the yeah. same room before. So, yeah, I call that when they're when they're <laughs> when they're getting out of the of the Raptor and everything. I call it I call them like the the grumpy Pegasus 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's, I mean, again, it just, you know, visually it shows you the, the dynamic of what's, you know, like kind of like a foreshadowing of how those people operate on their ship. There's a lot of matching shots between characters that we know are going to be interacting a little bit later. There's like, uh, that character Stinger comes out. Uh, we, we meet Nar- Narco, is it? Nar- Narcho? Um, <clears throat> the Vi- I, Viper pilot. The pilots. only one of their, their names that I noted was taylor he's the keg yeah yeah he's a that's stinger is his uh i think is his call sign and then um yeah it's (laughs) there's a couple of other characters that don't make lay that are in later shots that don't make the cut here but that uh marine that first opened the the door opens up and he's got this like frown on he's like he's in it a little bit later but he doesn't make it but yeah just and again this is another scene where the music it's this is on my another this is on my running playlist like this music i guess it's, it's called a uh, cobol and it's uh outstanding and when they all cheer when she says welcome to the fleet you feel at least i i was talking about talk for myself i feel that same sense of elation that i think that they would feel um, yeah. at that moment because um, it just sort of like a it's like a a genuine breath of fresh air michelle forbes did say that she's reading the script and it took her a little bit to really like figure out who everybody was because everybody has two names mm-hmm. and i thought that was funny because i hadn't really thought about it but it is true like almost everybody has two names yeah like what do you mean like their their call sign plus their like actual yeah. name yeah but even like president roslin or laura mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah or or we've got commander adama or bill mm-hmm. like everybody has two names that they go by but a lot of times it's their like designation or their call sign so yeah. chief we call him chief but that's not his name that's his right. job yeah but she, she said reading the script, it was just like, you know, who, wait, what, who? Yeah. At first. Because we do it on, on this. I know I do it all the time. Yeah. Like I'm talking and I just kind of depending on what pops into my head first, it's either Lee or Adama or yeah. Lee Adama or Apollo. Sometimes I say Lee Adama. Sometimes I just mm-hmm. say Lee. Sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's fat Apollo, fat Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like the only one that I like never really use their actual name, even in my notes, is Starbuck. Yeah. Like I know her name is Kara Thrace, and yeah. sometimes people refer to her as Kara, but I always she's Starbuck. So yeah, I mean she's the Starbucks, the most iconic. Like even from the yeah. ori- from the original show, that was the most iconic. I think that was the one that might have even made it into pop culture. So yeah, yeah. it makes sense. All right, so we go to Adama's quarters. Rosalind says that she has a lot of questions and asks permission to just dive in, which Kane allows. And Rosalind asks how the Pegasus found them. Kane says that they were tracking a Cylon fleet. They were trying to predict their movements, which seemed rather random until they realized that they were just jumping to systems with natural resources. So they began to scout those systems themselves, hoping to carry out, a, out hit and attacks on their fleet. But instead of finding the Cylons, they found the Galactica. Then Rosalind asks how they survived the initial attack on the colonies. But from here, we cut to Ty and the Pegasus's XO in the tool room, partaking of the deck crew's hooch. (laughs) 
they are genial, not wanting to be a part of the tour, but then Fisk insults how old the Galactica is, and he basically says that he can't believe the silence didn't wipe them out in this old piece of shit. And Ty glares at him before, like, jokingly saying that for that, Fisk has to skip the next round. So we go back to the grown-ups, and <laughs> Kane tells them how they survived the attack, which was they were docking at the Scorpion Fleet shipyard. They were getting ready for a three-week or three-month overhaul. Most of the crew was getting ready for extended shore leave and family reunions. The XO had the deck. She was in her quarters wrapping up some paperwork, getting ready to pack up to go home to Toron, and that's when the Cylons attacked. They hit the shipyard with three, maybe four nukes. <clears throat> Five ships, two of them battle stars, were destroyed. And by the time she got back to the CIC, she'd lost over 700 men. They were defenseless, so she ordered the ship to jump blindly. Adama calls this gutsy, but she says it was desperation. She's sure they have a story of their own, but she won't make them tell it. She'll just read Adama's captain logs and asks for them to be sent over to her ship. So Rosalind makes a face, and <laughs> Admiral Kane asks if something is wrong, and Rosalind says that sometimes she forgets about military protocols. So Adama very helpfully says, you know, to Rosalind and for the audience that Admiral Kane is his superior officer, and that means that she'll be taking control of the fleet. Admiral Kane says that she was wondering how to broach that subject and adds that the chain of command is strict, that it's not heartless, and neither is she. She says that the Galactica is Adama's ship, and she won't be interfering with their affairs. Adama appreciates that, but Rosalind, again, has this face, and Kane says, it looks like I just shot your dog. And Rosalind doesn't say what she's thinking, just that she and the commander have been through a lot together. And I think what she's thinking is, this isn't going to go well. Maybe. Yeah. She doesn't seem very confident that, like, she's going to be able to have a good working relationship with, with Admiral Kane. Yeah, I mean, I my brain didn't go that far. It just kind of, I just recognize, or she's just recognizing the, the new dynamic. And I think, because we all felt it. When you're first watching it, like, oh, yeah, like, uh, Space Dad isn't in charge anymore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that to me, that's the extent of how far it went. I thought it was a, it's a little interesting. Um, that I don't know if you got there or you're going to talk about it a little bit later, but after uh, Rosalind leaves, uh, I think Kane refers to her as the Secretary of Education. Yeah, because Billy pops his head in and says that he needs the president. And so Rosalind excuses herself. And then when she's gone, Kane turns to Adama and was like the secretary of education. Yeah. And Adama's like, well, she's come a long way, but I, Kane doesn't seem convinced of that. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. Cause like, she, she isn't convinced of that, but at the same time, she is one of the only people that actually gives her the respect of calling her by her title and not a school teacher. You know, it's, it was kind of yeah. interesting to me to notice so yeah, uh, there's a there was one little bit that that again that scene was longer, but um, there was a little bit about how they avoided their uh, the networked machines situation um, for the Pegasus also. So I think that they, it was just that when it 
it was um all the networks were down because they were doing the maintenance and that's why they the Cylons weren't able to take over their systems okay. the same way. So Yeah, cuz they don't say that in dialogue, but it had to be something yeah. because that's how the Cylons were able to get everybody so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So we go back to Ty and Fisk. And Ty asks about Admiral Kane and Fisk confirms that you know, is this just between us? And once he gets confirmation on that, he tells this story about how they came across a staging area of about 15 squadrons of Cylon Raiders. Kane told her Exo to attack. He refused, despite having served under Kane for years. I'm going to skip ahead to the rest of the story and we'll go back to Adama and, and Admiral Kane. Mm-hmm. Ty asks what Kane did when the order was refused, and Fisk tells him that she asked for the XO sidearm and then shot him in the head with it in front of the whole crew, and then turned to Fisk to carry out the order, which he did. And Ty looks utterly disgusted, and then Fisk starts laughing and says he was just kidding, and Ty sort of plays off that he's just amused by this joke, but it's really clear mm-hmm. that he doesn't believe that Fisk was kidding. Mm-hmm. Was there anything like that in the original? No, like it, the original was not dark. Okay. <laughs> like it was just, it simply was just Commander Kane was just really insistent on attacking this, this freighter and a convoy or whatever Cylons and Adama was like, no, we, we have to protect our fleet. And, but it never got like to this level of like dysfunction at all. Like there wasn't, I mean, you know, whatever. Um, they, a little bit of note, they actually had like, I don't ever think they really talk about it. There's like a whole Cylon. They always talk about the Cylon society. There was like little, like kind of like, different kind of models of Cylons that were in this scene. I thought it was interesting. It has nothing to do with this, but um, they, he just, he definitely was just wanting to attack it. And so it was like the, it was the back and forth about that. Um, and he kind of manip, uh, commander King kind of mani- manipulated a few things to cause them to actually do an attack run in the second part. So, okay. Yeah. So back to Adama and Kane, he's telling her about their Cylon prisoner and how she's been very a very useful source of intel and that the vice president has been working with her. And then Adama, Kane tells Adama that it gives her no pleasure to have to take command from him. I don't know. I don't believe it. <laughs> well, she seems perfectly happy to – I mean I know it's her job. But she she acts very quickly on, I read these logs. It sounds like your your command has been a mess. Yeah. Like, that. that's my whole thing. It's like, I think when she first says, you know, like, I have no intention of, like, kind of taking over. I think she meant it to a point. Like, but I, after she read those logs, like, I mean, you have to admit, <laughs> like, which was like whole, his whole point of context matters. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like if you read those logs, like it, it's a mess. Um, Galactica has been a mess, and so I don't see it. Like she's uh, like from her standpoint, I definitely could see why she, you know, she cro- like crossing the line with Tyrrell and um, Hilo a little bit later is one thing, but like for the rest of it, yeah, I'm gonna put all I'm gonna put all these people in charge of your ship because this is we this this is not gonna fly, you know. 
Well, in our in the next scene, this sort of segues well into the next scene. Um, we get to the hangar bay, and Apollo and Starbuck are looking at the Pegasus's vipers, and they have these hash marks all along the side. And Starbuck is like verbally grossed out by this, and Racetrack is like, "Oh, like you don't keep score." And Starbuck's like, "They're not on the side of my ship, or the side of my plane." Like she's bragging to the whole universe. Mm-hmm. And then some pilot is like, that's 48 kills right there. And Starbucks is like, oh, special. Do you have hats and T-shirts too? Which makes Hilo laugh. And then the Pegasus CAG asks who the Galactica CAG is. And Apollo steps forward and he's like, let's hear the rundown on this squadron of yours. I see you don't keep track of your kills. You should start. It encourages morale, gets competition going, esprit de corps, all of that. And Apollo's like, that's one philosophy. And then Taylor's like, it's Admiral Kane's philosophy, so it's your philosophy. Yeah. And Apollo's like, well, my commander's name is Adama, which shouldn't be too hard for you to remember since that's my name too, as if Taylor knows your name, Apollo. And then Taylor's like, oh, you're daddy's boy. We'll see. And then asks to see his ordinance lists. So <laughs> what? I, like, I understand Kane, like, sort of breaking things like mixing things up but i i think it's not just because things on galactica have been a mess not just because lee should not be serving underneath his father in an official capacity in an official military but she has a she has a way that she runs things and that has to happen on this ship too so she's going to put her people in place so they start following her philosophy yeah and when when lee says that i'm always like dude <laughs> look i wrote I mean, and that daddy he thinks he's funny and he's not yeah daddy's boy energy is what i call that like it's like come on dude like did you 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 tried to do something right there and you totally didn't do it like <laughs> anyway yeah. um but yeah i mean it's like at, at first it's nothing that Anybody that has worked in like a corporate environment or whatever that gets taken over by a new management or like the department reshuffling or something, I mean, it's happened, you know, so it's not, it's nothing that I haven't experienced or seen before. Um, but obviously, there's a darker underbelly behind some of it. But on the surface, it's, I, it's not, I mean, obviously, we react to it because the Galactica at this point has become our family and there's a dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so we like, obviously the show works on a certain level because of that. Um, and that's partly what the story is about. So then we see these outsiders coming and obviously we're like, Hey, no, you can't do that. But from, from Kane's perspective, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with that. Even taking, even having them all become like, having to mark their kills and like you have to listen to Kane because she is an admiral and that's what you, especially all these military types, that's what they signed on to do. You know, um, that I did. There's one thing about that scene I did not like is when it opens, um, racetrack is like flirting with that pilot and, uh, Narcho. And I just did not like that. (laughs) 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 That's why when she's like, Oh, like you don't keep track. I'm like, why are you taking his side? Like, 
Uh, I should have. I should have seen the red. The loyalties I should, are nebulous. I, just, I should. I was about to say. I should have seen the red flags, <laughs> racetracks, <laughs> red flags from the start, right there. Um. <laughs> so then we have Baltar explaining to Kane how he's the head of Cylon detection. She tells him that they have a Cylon prisoner too, and she would like him to examine it as soon as possible, see if he can get anything from it. Head six is like flitting around wondering if the Cylon will be a familiar face. Oh, is it a trusted friend who's now an enemy or is it a stranger? And Kane, who's not used to Baltar's attention floating away as if he <laughs> or asks if he heard what she said. And he says he did. He'd be happy to examine their prisoner. He calls her commander and she immediately corrects him with admiral. Mm-hmm. And... In my notes, I said I can't tell if this was him intentionally calling her the wrong rank or just force of habit. And the Wikipedia said this might be a little in-joke because in the original series, Kane is commander and does not outrank Adama. I read that. I didn't pick that up. I just thought he was – it was just a flub on his character's part and that was it. Whatever. Yeah. But who knows? Back in the hangar bay, the Pegasus's deck chief is this guy named Laird, and he's examining the Blackbird. He calls it an ugly baby, which offends Chief, but, I mean, it's not the prettiest shift or ship, so uh, Laird's not wrong. I just wanted to – it was another sequence that, uh, that was added on to that prior scene, um, and uh, Kane actually goes in to see Sharon – um, oh. Yeah, there's a whole sequence with that, and Baltar is talking, and that kind of like, go back to when they first were entered Galactica, and they're you know she's like kind of saying hi to everybody. She looks at Baltar and recognizes him, like because he's a personality, right? And mm-hmm. she says like you know Doctor Baltar, you know. So they they kind of establish um, through a bunch of other scenes that they're like she. That's why she kind of like defers to him and trusts him with all of this stuff right away. Um, okay. Yeah. And so she, she does see, she does meet and talk to Sharon prior to the scene that we have later. What is their conversation? Um, she just, she's asking them, she's asking her a bunch of questions and it's mostly Sharon just being like, Oh, you know, who's this? Or we must've come up on another convoy and that kind of stuff. And, and, um, uh, Admiral Kane is just kind of stonewalling and talk, mostly like ignoring Sharon and talking to Baltar and mm-hmm. just kind of establishing. I think it's just basically setting up the scene that we have later with okay. Sharon. So, sorry, so, I took us off track. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, Laird introduces himself, and Chief thanks him for the supplies that he sent over. Laird notices that the engines on the Blackbird and, or notices the engines on the Blackbird and says that he designed them and he thought they were phased out a decade ago. And Chief is surprised that the deck chief is an aeronautical engineer. And Laird explains that he was drafted to be the Pegasus, uh, the Pegasus deck chief when the war started. Callie asks how a civilian was drafted to this position. And he explained that he was on a ship called the Scylla yeah. that got picked up by the Pegasus and things happened. Then he asks if he can crawl around inside the Blackbird because he's curious how they managed to build it themselves. And we will learn much more about that 
next, in the next couple episodes. So there's a there's a scene right before this one. Um, Callie and uh, Chief are on the deck, and um, all of a sudden these supplies show up, right? And so it's like the Pegasus starting to like, you know, resupply the Galactica. So there's a bunch of spare parts, like, and you know, so it's like, oh, we can actually fix ships now, and they're all like all happy, right? And then <laughs> this is actually really funny. So then the next sh- the next scene is actually on the CIC and Gata's in there. And then the, I didn't get the guy's name, but he's the one of the one of the guys that's on the the bridge for the Pegasus is coming in, and a bunch of other technicians walk in with all these like boxes and stuff and like these CD ROMs. And um, he's bringing <laughs> he's bringing them. They're like. Uh, Updates, nav patches, upgrades, uh, library. Because and then like Gata's like, what? Well, I don't understand. Why are you guys bringing this? It's referring back to the previous episode because he's like, well, you guys didn't you guys have to wipe your entire system? And so like then I guess there was going to be a whole. Um, they, at at one point they thought about doing this whole thing where when Gata had to wipe the hard drives that it actually had like all the history of the colonies and all that stuff was gone and they mm-hmm. kind of had to deal with that, but they, they kind of scrapped that. But that was sort of like the reality was that they didn't have all that stuff. So they bring that on board and then Gata, <laughs> Gata picks up one of the CD robs. He says, uh, got any porn on there? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was such a, it doesn't sound like something that would come from Gata at all. <laughs> Well, apparently some time has passed because Adama is in the hallway with Rosalind and he's telling her about how the Pegasus has been resupplying Galactica from its own reserves for military operations. Yeah. And Rosalind supports that, but wants to know when some of those supplies will get out to the fleet. Adama says that Kane has assured him that those supplies are on their way. And Rosalind is glad that Kane is taking his phone calls because she isn't taking hers. Mm-hmm. Adama says he'll bring that to Kane's attention. And Rosalind asks how he's handling the change in command, and he's just like, well, she outranks me. It's as simple as that. And Rosalind says if President Adar suddenly stepped off a ship, she'd be relieved. <laughs> and yet, and Adama says he doesn't go to the and yet part. He's been taking orders his whole career. This is no different. So she thanks him, saying that they will take all the help that he can give them, and he says they shall receive it. So back in his quarters and this is why like i don't know this timeline is like weird like i guess all of this is happening all at once Mm -hmm. because this is where ty fills him in on the story that he was told Mm -hmm. so i don't know has it been days is it the same day i'm not sure Mm -hmm. but anyway adama thinks that this sounds like they were both drunk and ty admits that they were but says fisk wasn't lying and Adama says the context matters. And Ty is like, context? She shot her XO in front of the crew. And Adama's like, well, we blew up a ship possibly full of civilians. Mm-hmm. And Ty's like, yeah, but that was different. And Adama's <laughs> like, ah, yes, context. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> context and he hopes matters. That, <laughs> he hopes that Kane will, when she reads their whole report, will get all of that tasty tasty context and not judge him for it ty says that they should ask for her log so they can put her in context and adama's like well (laughs) doesn't work that way yeah did you have any thoughts on that 
Um, no, I mean, every, you know, I, I, a lot of what I felt about the show, um, was like, I, the thing I loved about the show was that they always had to make these difficult choices. Right. And Mm -hmm. some of them were like, you know, morality or philosophical like situations and, and I, I brought this up multiple times on this podcast and we haven't gotten to that episode yet, but the whole abortion debate was it to, mm. to me, was it an interesting one? Right. And, um, you know, but like with the Olympic carrier that obviously like they had to make a choice. Right. But nobody ever like, they never really dealt with it either. And so we finally kind of at least get an acknowledge of, acknowledgement of that in season three in a very pivotal moment. Um, but yeah, it's like they they did a lot of things and we're getting reminded of that. And we get reminded of a few of them a little bit later. So uh, like, again, I think that Admiral Kane, like, in the, she's not outside of her, um, you know, bounds and in, in some of the choices that she, or the, with the like judgment that she makes about the Galactica and how it's been managed just based on the logs. I, I like what, you know, like you, we can't have that. And so we get it. We also, she also, again, context does matter. And she doesn't know that we are watching a TV show and this is what it's supposed to be about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, uh, like that's, there's, there's that part. I mean, and I, I, I say that as a joke, but also that's like kind of it, right? Like we're not really here to see the people do things the way that they're supposed to be done or else that would be boring. So. Right. So we go to the Pegasus and Baltar and Head Six, um, they're being brought to see the Cylon prisoner by the head of interrogation or whatever they call him. His name is Thorn. He asks if Baltar wants some guards to go in with him. And Six is all like humor and glee and she's teasing him about needing soldiers to protect him from the big bad Cylon prisoner. And Baltar refuses the guards saying he'll be just fine. And they enter the brig and they see a Six model lying handcuffed and bolted to the floor. She's clearly been beaten and tortured and Six freaks out. Baltar demands that they open the door immediately they walk in, like, the smell seems to be terrible. Baltar moves closer to her and says that she must have fought back. And Six says that that doesn't justify this. And he tells her to stop and then addresses the prisoner. He shines a light in her eyes and says there's no sign of head trauma. She has voluntary eye movement. Six demands that he stops being a scientist for one minute and actually look at the abused woman in front of him. He says that he knows this must be hard for her, and she tells him not to patronize her, and he says that he's not. He's trying to reason with her. If he's going to help her, he has to understand her first. Six asks if he's going, if he actually is going to help her, and Baltar says he will do everything he can. And after all, she looks remarkably like someone he's very fond of. Then he says it's probably best if Six leaves them for a while, so she disappears. So this sequence actually completely in this moment destroys my whole theory about her being like this all seeing kind of angel, even though that's Mm -hmm. what, even though that's what they say they are, because she would have like the whole 
scene is played like she doesn't know the shock that she's about to see. She doesn't know who it's who it's going to be. Um, and so I, I don't know if they knew what they were doing at that, that moment, if they were just playing it for uh, for the for the shock of it and the mm-hmm. and the drama of it. So it doesn't quite line up with like how she is privy to a bunch of information in other instances. But nevertheless, it's uh, really well done. Some behind the scenes stuff. Trisha Helfer said that her hair had started like falling out because of having to get it bleached like every two weeks to keep it this like ice white color, which is not her natural color. So this is the first episode where she's wearing a wig. The brown hair or the darker blonde hair that Gina has is her natural hair. She had to stop dyeing her hair. She had been asking them, like, can't I just wear a wig for a while? And they didn't think it would work. But when her hair started, like, breaking off, she was like, I, you can't. Like, I want to just shave it. She actually said for Gina, she asked if she could just shave her head. Hmm. And they didn't, they didn't want her to do that. Hmm. So she dyed it back to closer to her natural color so that on the floor, Gina model is her real hair and any other six we see from this point out that has lighter blonde hair is a wig hmm, interesting yeah. yeah and she said she wished that she had fought for it harder earlier because so much damage was done to her hair yeah the way you I just you mentioned gina <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh in the director's commentary ron moore says why he named her that which was because on the message boards and stuff at the time when the show was on, there was like a contingent of uh, uh, grumpy fans um, that, you know, like that loved the original and they were super critical of the new one. You know, why why isn't it like this? Why isn't it like that? It's not like the thing I love, you know? And um, he's shocking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he said that they called themselves Gino, <laughs> Galactica in name only, <laughs> and so <laughs> that's and so Amazing. yeah, and so yeah, so he named her Gina as a yeah as a I love it. way to make kind of make fun of them. Yeah, we don't actually learn her name in this episode, so I did try to sort of stick to calling her the prisoner. But... Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for clarity's sake, because we yeah. see her quite a bit for the next few episodes. So, so Baltar meets with Kane and Fisk after his time with the prisoner, and he says to them, "It suffered no serious head trauma, and there's no physical damage to its neural pathways or cognitive reasoning centers, but it's quite clearly traumatized, which would suggest that its current condition is psychological in nature." Had you thought about that? No, it shows that the Cylon consciousness is just as susceptible to the same pressures and cleavages as the human psyche. It can be manipulated in the same fashion. Simply put, Admiral, you have already used the stick. It's time to use the carrot. I think it's interesting that he was very deliberately using it instead of her, Mm -hmm. even though he obviously sees her as a woman not an it but Mm -hmm. he's he's smartly adaptable in this situation to the language that's going to work with admiral kane 
So I appreciate that about Baltar. Uh, Admiral Kane tells Fist to give the doctor whatever he needs. And then she meets with Adama after reading his logs. She says they've clearly been through an ordeal. She realized that the silent fleet, she realizes now that the silent fleet were track, they were tracking was actually tracking the Galactica's movements. Their recon has shown them that the Cylon fleet consists of two base ships, about a dozen or so support ships, and one large vessel they are still unable to identify. And she shows him these recon pictures. She says it's the large ship that she's most interested in. They haven't been able to identify its purpose, but the base stars protect it. Adama calls this a tempting target. And Kane thought she was going to have to convince him that their ships could should go on a joint strike mission. He says he'll have Apollo coordinate her with her CAG, and she's like, well, about that. And this is where she tells him that she's going to be integrating the crews. She's assigning Apollo to her ship. Adama says that his team works really well together, and she's like, yeah, well, that's your son, who shouldn't be your CAG. And he's been insubordinate and even mutinous. And then there's this Karis Thrace who strikes fellow officers and disobeys, disobeys orders. And Lieutenant Agathon knocked up a Cylon. And I'm not even going to go into your XO. <laughs> it's funny because the, the XO is probably like the most tame of everybody, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to everybody else's. Like, right? Yeah, he just drinks and... Right. Whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, and he also, like, you know, martial law and all that. But whatever. I feel like she hands- well, that's what she would have done. I, I, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, he probably was, yeah. like, more in line with her than, like, yeah. anybody else. <laughs> she hands him a list of transfers. He said that he thought she said she wasn't going to interfere with his command. And she says that she's saving his command. He doesn't agree, but she doesn't care. I have to say something. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of like defending uh, Admiral Kane a lot, and I just want to make it clear I don't like anything that she's doing. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, from a certain point of view, um, right, like right. she definitely like she's not, and I think that's the beauty of of all of this is that she's not just saying anything that's like like crossing over some kind of like legalistic line right like she definitely is within the bounds of like literally the law to be doing all of the things she does and that's why the case for bucking all the authority is so compelling when he finally decides he wants to do that so Mm -hmm. yeah so adama calls apollo and starbuck into his office to tell them they are being transferred and they are both not into it and they express their feelings very loudly at the same time Adama yells at them that they're officers, they need to act like it, these are their orders, and they will carry them out. Starbuck asks for permission to speak, and he's like, no. <laughs> I loved I loved that. Because that's been that's become such a like like a trope for military type shows and space like permission to pre- for, speak freely. And then they're like granted. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> I loved then- it. Yeah, I like that too. And Dama says that they've gotten used to breaking the rules, but that ends now. So then we're on the Pegasus in their briefing room, and Taylor is going over their mission, and Starbuck very loudly says that the plan sucks and gives her assessment on how to do it. Taylor just kicks her off the mission and tells Apollo that he'll be piloting the Raptor that Taylor is riding in. Outside in the hallway, Starbuck is ready to sabotage the whole ship, but... 
Apollo gives her a camera and tells her to take the blackbird and get some nice close-up pictures. Yes. in the So in the scene right before uh, with Adama and Apollo and Kara, <laughs> Starbuck, um, again, it was like a little bit longer. So he, he definitely dresses them down. But at the very end when they're leaving, he does say, watch your back. They're gunning for you. And then I think Apollo says they're gunning for all of us. So I think that would have been good to have in the episode. It, you know, it's funny because I actually prefer the original version better just because it's, it's a little, I don't know. It's, I, cause I, I like, I like actually how Adama is being the company man. Um, and he's sort of like, yeah, we, we do have to get our act together. And he does this later and I, in the, like the boxing episode, he kind of acknowledges that sometimes they can they can be a little too lax about things, and when they do that, it causes some problems to happen. So I do I just I like I like how that how that went, but also yes, they are gunning for you. Um, and then um, in the commentary for that scene when he's when Apollo and uh, Starbucker like he's passing her the camera and everything. And Ron Moore says, yeah, it's like, I was always a little uneasy with that part because it seems a little, he's like, he he refers to this a lot. Like, you know, it, it felt very TV plotting and like, it definitely does. But he's like, he's also kind of like, okay with it because you needed to move some things along. Um, like, it doesn't seem like logistically or logically, it doesn't seem like they would actually make the that choice that they made. And the, I guess in the time frame that they do, there's a couple mm-hmm. of scenes a little bit later. Um, they, this is one part that's cut out that you like you won't you'll you'll talk about that scene <laughs> i think but they cut this part out where the deckhand laird um mm-hmm. from the pegasus he actually is brought in to take over for the chief tyrell um oh. yeah so there's a whole se- sequence with that but in that opening of that sequence he asks or uh uh, Tyrrell, Tyrrell's like, uh, hey, where's the Blackbird? Whatever. And I think it's Callie or something. It's like, oh, Starbuck took it out to do some test runs or something. Yeah, that's coming up. Oh, they actually have that line? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, there's uh, there's some stuff that, again, they 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 jump back and forth and cut out and in and out. But that def- that sequence definitely feels a little a little easy, a little weird. I don't know. I don't know what your take is. Uh, I mean, it. I didn't, I didn't really put that much thought into it, to be honest. Mm. Like, I, if anything, was impressed that Lee was like, here, sabotage, you know? Because mm-hmm. he does seem to be such a rule follower, and like, for the most part. Like, but he also just, you know, wants to do what's right and what he sees as right. And I know he feels like this isn't where we're supposed to be. And he still has loyalty to his ship. So, yeah. Uh, well, here we go. This is where the episode gets horrific. Mm. <clears throat> They're in the tool room. Some of the Pegasus assholes are enjoying the Galactica hooch. They start talking about how they heard that the Galactica has a Cylon prisoner too. And they hear that she's hot and how they'd like to assault her. And the chief tells them that that's enough. They ask him if he's got a soft spot for the little robot girl. 
We cut to the break where Thorne enters Sharon's cell, and she's like, who the hell are you? We go back to the tool room. One of the guys talks about when Thorne put a do not disturb sign on the brig. Another one talks about how, yeah, I got in line twice. And I'm not going to repeat the rest of what these fuckers said about gang raping a six model. It's gross. And for once, I'm on the same page as Callie when when she basically tells him to shut the fuck up. I understand why this is in this episode. I truly do. I think it is important for us as an audience to understand the sort of where we are with our people on the Galactica, where they are angry that they were duped by Sharon. And they do refer to Cylons as toasters, but they are not torturing and raping them. They're treating them with dignity even when they're prisoners. Even what what Starbuck did to Leobin, which was torture, she was torturing him. It could have been worse because she could have really been like, you're, it, even when she was saying you're a thing, when it got bad, when he was actually starting to drown, when he was all bloodied up, she was like, okay, enough of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's horrific. And I, I, according to uh, Trisha Helfer, um, Grace Park really struggled because I know there's, it's extended a bit in the cut scenes. Yes. I heard, uh, I think you told me, it's a lot more graphic. Um, Grace Park struggled with having to film this. It was very hard for her because yeah. it was so, so, I mean, rape scenes, I would imagine are never fun for a woman to film. Yeah. Um, but Grace was also, you know, still a, a pretty new actress, second season on a show. It's, it's one thing to, to hear about what they did to Gina and see the end result. And it's another for us to watch, this person that we've spent all this time with be attacked in this way mm-hmm. and by somebody who's just like, answer my questions. I'm going to slam your head into the table and not really giving her any, giving her a chance to really answer anything before he's unbuckling his pants. Yeah. He went in there with the intention of, of raping her because that's what he sees is, he doesn't see her as a, a person, and I can't even say that he wouldn't be this way with an, with somebody he did see as a person. Right. I mean, that, that's like that's the point, right? It's like it just shows you that there's something dark and broken about these people on this ship, and and this is sanctioned. This y- is yeah. Kane knows that this is what they're doing and is fine with it. Right. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's not insignificant that it's, uh, Callie who shot, uh, <laughs> shot a Cylon, uh, in the corridor. Um, it's not insignificant that she's the one that like is offended by this, uh, this talk because well, she also was almost raped. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, cause it's, it's sort of like, like what you were saying that, you like understand why it's here because it's like demonstrating 
it's communicating something to us, right. As an audience about the, again, the depths of darkness that this ship has. Um, it was important. I think I, I read that, uh, um, Michael Reimer, the director of the this episode, actually was the one that brought that um, point out for Callie to actually be repulsed by it because um, I don't think it, that that part was originally in the script. But yeah, it's like on a on a visceral level, you'd be like, a, yeah, enough, right? Like you just you've gone too far. Um, yeah. And I think as a society, obviously we like the, the that idea of rape is. It's like you you can't almost go any darker than that. Again, so it like it communicates to us that these people are broken, and the difference between Starbuck and um, the and the Pegasus is that again, Starbuck didn't necessarily take glee or joy in it, and right. any anything that she did, like again, like you said, she kind of like she understood at a certain point that this was a, a machine or no, this. Had this cre- creature has feelings and can feel, and yeah. there's the empathy and stuff. And Pegasus never had that. Like they just, no, they just they're celebrating. And and so these two these two uh, guys doing their lines, I was so over the top. And it's just like it's again, it communicates just how uh, it's just like the worst kind of frat boys. And um, yeah, that scene, well, it, uh, it, it's it's like. It's so commonplace it, where they where they serve on their ship. This is so the, there's only as far as we know, there's only one Cylon prisoner. Mm-hmm. And these guys make it sound like this is just something that they're allowed to do. Yeah, it's just what you do. It's what you do, right? Am yeah, I right? Like, Am I right? Not just not just when Thorne is in there interrogating. It's what do you feel like doing? Nah, you want to go get in line to like gang rape the robot? Yeah. You know, like it's just so disgusting. Yeah. And then, and then like, and the, so the, the scene with, uh, I guess, so it was written, it was written the way that we see it in the televised cut. And so the extended version, it's not like, it's not that it's, m- it's like it's not like it's more graphic. Like they show all of this extra stuff, um, but it, it's actually like on a matter of seconds more that they show. But those seconds changes the context of it. And it, it was funny because when I watched it, I was like, "Wait a minute, I don't remember this happening." And then I had to like list. Then I listened to the the commentary after I watched it, and then read, and I understood that they cut that out. So what it was written the way that we saw it in the aired version when they were filming it, they filmed, they added those scenes and then there was a battle with the network about it. And when they had to cut everything, they, they cut that part. So they actually, the context of it changed from like attempted rape to actually he had just started. And then that's when they jump in. So you actually yeah, see her I, I heard, pants down a little bit, and yeah. yeah, and it's like I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute! I don't remember that part," you know. And um, it's only like a second or two, but it's it's enough to change the context of of what happens to Sharon. Not yeah. that any of it's okay, but it just like it definitely is. Uh, it's just a little bit different. It made me understand a little bit more because one of the things, um, like her acting after this entire sequence, 
always felt very like sort of like genuine or something, you know, mm-hmm. that it's like when she's crying, it, it feels like it's coming from the depths of her, like the way that she puts the blanket over her head and she's kind of curls up. And after what I, I want to know is whether that was her or if that was written, well, if that was directed or if that was her instinct as a woman having to perform this scene. And I, Imagine when you're an actor, you have to get inside the head of the character you're playing. You have to be that person. So was this Grace Park just being so in the moment and knowing that, like, I don't even want to – I don't want to be seen at all. I don't want – I like, covering herself up and hiding the best way that she could. Yeah, so my my inference is that it's her, like, like just – being in the moment and um uh, after seeing that they actually shot more i understand why we got that depth of performance that we got in the aired version so it's like yeah like she would have like gone through a lot more that we saw so it's a that's not to say that an attempted rape is not traumatizing all on its own because what we do see happening to her with him slamming like grabbing her by the throat and slamming her her against a wall and you know shoving her over the table and unbuttoning his pants and you know whatever like that is traumatizing yeah well like i said like it doesn't make it doesn't necessarily make it any better or worse i don't know what which way it goes um but like it 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 does change the context a little bit but it's still awful it's still yeah. it's still terrible but just in a practical sense the level of like her acting in that moment i actually was like oh after i knew she filmed all this other stuff then i really could mm-hmm. understand why she was acting in that moment right um anyways it's terrible um i eh. There's a there's a whole conversation about um, men and writing scenes <laughs> in fiction, and um, there maybe could have been other choices that they made. I do think it's a I do think it's sort of like it is important because this actually gives um, us as an audience a solid reason to back Adama, like when he does yeah. stuff later versus all the other stuff that like the you know so he's they've done a bunch of stuff and like i've been saying um admiral kane's not wrong but in this moment we have sort of like the moral like authority to be like to hell with all that you launched those fighters dama you know this sort of gives us like we already are on edge We've, you know, it's been a slow build throughout a very quick moving episode of her coming in, being the way that she is. We see that her fighters are keeping track of how many kills they have, that that's her philosophy, that she's got an interrogator who takes, you know, up, takes care of things with their Cylon prisoner. And then we find out what exactly that means, where it's it's not what we have witnessed 
our people doing and so we get a very full picture of this is not a good person to be running things this is not these aren't people we want to be working with this isn't the way we do things and it gives us as an audience even more reason to be like no fuck those people blow that ship up Mm -hmm. um i don't think that we I don't think we would have felt that way to the level that the show needs us to if it had just been seeing what they did to Gina Mm -hmm. because we didn't know her. But we know Sharon. So seeing that she wasn't even given an opportunity, this wasn't a slow build from I'm going to ask you some questions Oh, you're not, you're going to be difficult. You're not going to answer fine. And they leave and then come back and an escalation. This was, I'm going to ask you some questions. You're going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer. And then I'm going to slam your face into a table. Yeah. There's no, there's no time at all. There's, as Baltar says, there's no carrot. There is only stick. Mm -hmm. And we, understand that they're bad people because of what they did to the Cylon on their ship. We get to see like just how bad it actually is. And Chief and Hilo go running <clears throat> to Sharon when they find out that Thorn is visiting with her and immediately start fighting everybody in the room. Chief throws thorn up against a wall and he happens to hit his head in the right spot on a bolt on the wall and dies so they're in this fight until one of the marines pulls a gun and then they're ordered to their knees and they realize thorn is dead i don't think he died as painfully or as slowly as i would have preferred um, and then they're brought to the Pegasus as prisoners along with Thorne's body. Which Adama finds out and he gets on the phone with Kane. He thinks that Chief and Hilo should be in prison on the Galactica since the assault happened there. She disagrees. Adama thinks it needs to be decided by an independent tribunal. And she points out that the last time one of those <laughs> gave him an answer he didn't like, he disbanded it. And that involved the Chief too. Right. Yeah, he. I mean, again, she got she got him there. <laughs> yeah, he, he, you can kind of see him, kind of uh, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. So then Baltar visits Gina. He brings her food. He tells the guard to leave, and then he starts talking to her. He tells her about when he was back on Caprica. He fell in love with a woman who turned out to be a Cylon, and that to this day he loves her, and she looks just like her. And he tells her his name and that he's there to help her. And she reaches out for an apple and takes a bite. That, Trisha Helfer said, was not scripted. Her reaching out and grabbing the apple Mm -hmm. and taking a bite of it. Then Apollo is with Taylor in the Raptor, but he's distracted. And when he's asked why, he says two of his friends were arrested in charge of treason. And Taylor's like, yeah, well, that's not your problem. Focus on this. Focus on the job at hand or whatever. Yeah, again, I'm like, he's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Callie pleads with Adama to help the chief and while she's doing this Adama is paged over the ship's intercom to call the CIC ASAP that's pronounced ASAP (laughs) 
it's Ty who tells Adama that Fisk just told him that the court martial is over and Kane is going to execute Chief and Hilo. Adama tells Ty to get a Raptor ready and to launch alert fighters. He goes to the CIC and requests a secure channel to Kane. When she picks up, Adama says that she promised that they'd get a fair trial and asks what kind of trial they could have possibly already gotten. And she says that she heard them out. She weighed their statements against the statements from the guards and took into consideration their service records. She says it was a difficult decision, but a fair one. And Adama says that they have the right to be heard by a jury. Kane says that she is a flag officer on, a de- on detached service during a time of war. Regulations give her broad authority in this matter. Adama or- covers the phone and tells Ty to launch alert fighters. And then he says to her that she can quote any regulations she wants. He's not going to let her execute his men. She highly suggests he reconsider that statement. Fisk tells her that the Galactica has launched alert fighters. She asks him why he's doing that. He tells her to arrange to have Chief Tyrrell and Lieutenant Agathon returned over to his Marines. She says she doesn't take orders from him, and he's just like, whatever, I'm getting my men back. Kane calls for action stations. Fisk warns her that this will get out of control very quickly. She ignores him and says to launch the alert vipers. She says Adama has left her with no choice. And outside of the ships, we see the vipers from both ships forming or in formation to fight each other. And we go to credits. I love the look on Callie's face when Adama (laughs) tells her to get back to her work. She looks, (laughs) (laughs) she looks so dumb, awestruck, like, what am I doing here? Um, And one other, uh, one other uh, shout out to, um, all the, the people in the background and the Pegasus, uh, they all kind of, I, I like how they're not like, they're, you know, they're not mustache twirling kind of individuals either. They all kind of acknowledge that this is like, this is getting weird. Um, and uh, so, you have, so you not, have... not like the guys in the control room in, on Corellia in episode two of Ahsoka. <laughs> <laughs> Who are all like? <laughs> They're all giving shifty, the shifty, yeah, shifty. yeah, giving glances. Like uh, I was like, for the empire, something's up here. <laughs> um, yeah, because spoilers in, for episode two of Ahsoka. Sorry, we see uh, um, our friend Hoshi is in the background. Um, he oh. he looks the most awestruck. <laughs> like, I did not notice Hoshi. Yeah, he looks a lot like younger and like like just thinner or something not thinner but just like he just looks younger and a little less uh future future admiral admiral hoshi <laughs> yeah he's uh we love hoshi um so yeah uh that uh oh my god i remember watching this the first time <laughs> and there was like what like a six month break yeah it was I was, you know, mind completely blown and like, yeah, six month break. And I'll never forget, um, I probably will bring this up again next time. So, you know, uh, one of my best friends, um, like we were watching it at the time and I know he hadn't seen the, I don't, he hadn't seen season two yet. Um, and he bought it on DVD or Blu-ray DVD at the time. And uh, we were watching those last few episodes right before the premiere that I think they, I think he had just, the premiere had just came on or he bought this, this, that season two or whatever. So we were watching it at the time. So we, you know, we got to the end of that uh, Pegasus episode and then he was like, damn, you had to wait six months. 
<laughs> to see what happens next. I was like, yeah, dude, it was like the worst, like, <laughs> but in a good way. Like that, I think that this show was really good about that, where they, they did these cliffhangers where it, like it got you talking and excited and you know, yeah. a lot of chatter and, um, you know, a lot of that happened like in the new Caprica episodes or with the final five and all that other stuff. And, um, but yeah, in this case, it was just like, Oh my God, how are they even going to get out of this? You know, you're just like, Oh, that's great. So. All right. So a little bit of trivia, Starbucks criticism of Taylor's reconnaissance plan that the Cylons would never leave such an obvious blind spot unaccounted for is the same criticism she made of Ty's initial assault plan in the hand of God. Yeah. Which that was the one with the freighters, right? Yeah. Yeah. When she has to make the plan herself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The population count is 49,605, a dramatic increase of... 1,752 since the last episode, accounting for the addition of Pegasus and her crew to the Colonial Fleet. Hmm. And this episode was nominated for the 2006 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form. Definitely earned it. Yep. Okay, so was Baltar the worst this week? No, he was not the worst. He was not. He was actually quite great yeah who do you think gets full colors um that's a like i guess now i would give them to dama i I suppose uh i said ty huh okay because ty ty immediately went to or you know as immediate as i can believe in the editing Mm -hmm. went to adama and was like uh not everything is good in denmark (laughs) yeah I mean, I Who would guess, you throw out the airlock? I mean, it would be soon-to-be-dead rapist Fisk. <laughs> that was my uh, Marcellus. Fisk wasn't a rapist. Uh, well, no, not Fisk. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Thorn. Thorn. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's Soon good. I said Kane. I, I cut off the head. Oh, there would be plenty of more. <laughs> I just, I was just like, you know, the guy, the guy that like. Did like one of the worst acts possible, probably for me. Should yeah. like get it, but um, yeah, Kane. There would be Kane's got some coming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite Cylon this week. Um, that would be Sharon for me. I said, considering what they've been through, I won't choose between Sharon and Gina. Yeah, I'm give them both. That favorite. that tracks. Yeah, that's why I'm so. I'm like, yeah, you know, I I I like. It's like Sharon's acting in that moment uh, mm-hmm. after. I really, I've always, my heart always connected with that. But um, yeah. Could, yeah, but uh, Gina went through some stuff. So Trisha Helper did say that she basically just laid on that floor all day. Mm. Yeah. She, like, even when there were opportunities to get up, she just stayed so that she could, like, stay in that mind space. She just stayed laying on the floor. Wow. And she said she was so bruised afterwards because she was in that position for so long with, like, her hands bound behind her and everything. Some dedication. Yeah. And after this, she was like, get me on a show in Hawaii. I'm gonna, I need I need to relax. Trisha Helfer wasn't on a show in Hawaii. Oh, I was talking about Grace Park. Oh, no. I was yeah. talking about Trisha Helfer. <laughs> Grace Park wasn't bound on the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought, I thought, anyway. yeah, I thought you actually were talking about 
Grace Park and just like she was in that scene. I thought you meant she was on the floor after her scene all day. No, no. Trisha Helfer, when that scene, when she first, when Balter first sees her, that was, she said that basically took a day and she just stayed laying down there the whole day. Trisha Helfer was like, get me on a two-part episode of Her Notice in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Get me on a show where... The devil is a charming British man. <laughs> Enough of this post-apocalyptic stuff. <laughs> okay. Do we have any new reviews? It's been a couple weeks. I'd like to actually, before you get to that, I want to yeah. stress that we did skip a week, but that's because last week I was really sick. Like, I was sick all day, that day we were supposed to record. Yeah. I, I don't know. And you had a hurricane to deal with, an earthquake, <laughs> and I had a flood. I had a hurricane. It was a hurricane. Yeah, <laughs> that was um, wild. But that was it so just wild. Also happened that I was really, really sick that day, so we have had a little gap. Sorry about that. Um, shouldn't happen again for a while. Yeah, there were uh, there were no reviews, so we would love it if we got some. Please review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps us get found if people are searching for. Somebody talking about Battlestar Galactica a decade after it was over. Um, just helps us, you know, come up in the rankings. And it also just makes us feel good. So please go rate and review. You can also rate us on Spotify. But you can't review us on Spotify. You can find us on Twitter, which, FYI, I updated all my apps on my phone the other day. Uh-huh, you saw the and little X. I didn't think about it. I was never going to update Twitter again so that it would stay with the little Twitter bird. And yeah. now it says X and it makes me angry every time I look at it. Yeah. But on Twitter, which I will <laughs> only call Twitter, we are at GalactuallyPod. On Gmail, if you want to send us your thoughts, we are GalacticaActuallyPodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, we are GalacticaActually. And what about you? Where can you be found? I can be found uh, on Instagram as the Armageddon with the three as the second E. Um, I have a Facebook author's page uh, that is the same. And uh, First and Well Chronicles and uh, Boops of Life. And uh, also Angela in the Dark um, on Instagram and our YouTube channel. We have have a motion comic of my comic book, Angela in the Dark, with music by Murray Gold. Yes, and it's very good. You should watch it if you haven't yet. Uh, I am on Instagram, oh, hey, Jamie, with underscores between O and hey and Jamie. <laughs> Think about it. Sorry. Um, and every every find... time I tag, I'm going to tag you, I <laughs> I like write your, start to write your name and then oh, hey comes up and it's <laughs> for like a fraction of a second. I'm like, who is that? Oh, and then I'm like, oh, it's. Yeah. yeah, I it what it did used to be my name with like numbers, and I just hate. I always hated that, so I finally just changed it. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, I can be found uh, my past podcasting work on the Unspoiled Network. You can find that on any podcast app that you use. Um, you can find the Unspoiled Network on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'm not on any shows currently over there anymore, but. Natasha, who is the network owner, she's got a billion shows, and they're all worth listening to, 
and it's probably something that you are interested in she's covered so i covered doctor who lost band of brothers the punisher and the vampire diaries and did some other guest spots here and there usually about books when there was a book club feed so um next week we will be doing resurrection ship part one which i'm very excited about i don't remember what happens I don't remember offhand what happens, but I know it is good. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> I like remember it being very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I remember like very specific things, but and then I, I was I remember the like the cliffhanger to the episode. Um, yeah, which I will I will give my Adama uh, impr- impersonation when uh, for a couple of lines next week. <laughs> But okay. um, but it's like through the rest of the episode, I I can't I can't really recall. <laughs> well, it's a two part episode, which is actually this one said to be continued, so it's really mm. three episodes. Yeah, it's a three episode like arc a for sure. Three episode arc, all like connected, not not just an arc, but like this is a little trilogy. So definitely could be a movie, like. Um, yeah, yeah. There's like with the rent, the runtime, it could have been a packaged movie yeah. if they wanted to. Okay. Well, do you have any last thoughts? Um. Oh, the music, the music when the fighters are are like attacking each other. That's another great, a great, absolutely amazing piece of music. So basically, everybody should go to Spotify or iTunes or whatever and listen to Bear McCreary's score for Battlestar Galactica cuz it's very good. Yeah, I was think I've been thinking about making like a playlist of like cuz I I mean I when I, I I tell you how much I loved this this score like when they would come out after the seasons were over, I would just like listen to them over and over and I almost couldn't re- I couldn't like it didn't feel real that I had music like this for a TV show, you know? And I mm-hmm. you know, traditionally I'd be listening to music like this for like Star Wars or you know Star Trek or something like that. But I was like, wow, this is like a TV show. This is great. Um, and just the, the different types of music that they have. And as the seasons progress, they, you know, try different things and there's new types of stuff. But that prelude to war, like, so for, in all of these episodes, that they have over the show. It's like, there's three tracks in particular, just in this one episode that they have that are just like, kind of like peak Battlestar music for me. Um, and I think the next two parts, there's a something darker. I forget the name of the track. I think that pops up later. I'll talk about it, but I, yeah, d- I maybe forgot you to should, maybe you should make a little mini playlist to like bring people in. Yeah. Throw it up on Spotify. Yeah, I have I have a playlist that I call on my personal uh, phone called with my own MP3s called um, Battlestar Galactica's Greatest Hits. <laughs> <laughs> but I could just well, definitely go. definitely make a make a playlist and yeah, put it up. People for us. love playlists on Spotify. Yeah. So I just had to geek okay. out about that because I'm a big uh, music score fan. I always refer to the music in this show as the poundy drums, but it's so much more than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because that, that's that when it first came out, that was sort of what was 
like stand out about it, right? And like you, you didn't hear music like that, but they bring so many other elements in. Like I was yeah. talking about at the very beginning of the episode, like they don't play music like that normally. And then the and then right after that, they play another piece of music that's completely different from the first. Um, and then this prelude to war is just like fantastic. It was like one of my favorite pieces of music from the show. The uh, the, oh, the, uh, the next favorite piece I think I have is from uh, the Battle of New Caprica. Um, but uh, this is good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, then, until next week, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. See ya. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.